Welcome back to Biblical Book Review. I'm Kevin. I'm Alec. And I'm George. We are so happy you are joining us for today's study. Last week, we were in part two of chapter 25. Today, we are going to wrap up chapter 25. What does chapter 25, the conclusion, have to offer, George? Well, Jesus has uh, come to his disciples. It's the last hour. Basically, he says, my hour has come. And here we go. He says, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave the uh, Holy Spirit will return, and he'll come and bring all information to you. And so there's some grieving going on there in chapter 14. In chapter 15, he says, no, wait a second. Let's, let's do something different. Let's talk about what our uh, objectives are. And then he kind of does the, the vine and the branches and their relationship to each other, their relationship to the world. And then here in section 3, he concludes the discourse here by saying, in a little while. Okay, this is all going to happen here in a little while. And... You're going to see me, but you're not going to see me. And it's like, what are you talking about? What do you mean I can see you, but I can't see you? And so he's going to explain that as he describes to them his death and his resurrection. Yet again, he describes it to them in detail. And then he says, in a little while, you'll see me, and yet you'll see me not. And it's like, okay, so he's going to explain all of that. And A.B. Bruce does this, and he wraps it up in section 3. And so we'll discuss that this morning. Yeah, this uh, uh, kind of comforting words from Jesus, and it really kind of concludes with him, again, like like we said, telling him again that he's going to die, which is kind of uh, backwards to our way of thinking. Like, that's not comforting, Jesus. <laughs> you're going to die. You're going to go away. You're All these things have to happen so the Holy Spirit can come. That's not comforting. But the the flip side of that comforting coin is, I'm, I'm coming back. The, the resurrection is going to happen. I'm not staying dead. So it is comforting words, but just putting yourself in the shoes of the disciples at the time, uh, it might have been a little bit uh, <laughs> jawing, just kind of uh, awkward uh, to kind of get to that point of, okay, this is still comforting, even though I'm telling you that I'm going to die. Uh, there's going to be some things that have to happen because of my death or things that can't happen until my death happens, and then the resurrection is going to happen, and then I'm coming back. There's, there's, some, there's some comforting words in this. It just seems like it always surprises them, too, because they, they've talked about it several times, and it always just seems to catch them off guard. It's like, well, we've, we've talked about this several times, and now we're putting a concept of time to it a little while, which... If you do any Bible reading, you know that the concepts of time don't necessarily coincide with our concepts of time. But this one, a little while, they know it's it's intimate. It's about to happen. It's going to be right then. If it was soon, it could be a few thousand years. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's interesting that our translators, uh, the New American Standard translators, uh, recognize that there's two different words that Jesus uses there are translations that say a little while and you'll no longer see me. And again, a little while you'll see me and using the word see, but it's interesting that the new American standard will use the word a little while. You will not behold me. And again, a little while you will see me. And so they recognize the, the different words. And so the original hearers, those individuals in this room, 
they recognize that there's something different about these terms. You're going to behold me and you're going to see me. And so here is Jesus saying, physically, you'll no longer be able to see me with your physical eyes. You'll no longer be able to hear my voice with your physical ears. You'll no longer be able to touch me, touch my robe, or touch me with your physical hands. In a little while, you'll not see me. And then in a little while, spiritually, you will see me. And there's that distinction. And all during the ministry of Jesus, and as he's training these leaders to be, he needs them to stop seeing everything physically. He needs, to, he needs them to start seeing everything spiritually. And up to this point, and even until Acts chapter 1, and really until Acts chapter 2, uh, they really don't get it. And it's like they still, like us, they're, they're bound in this world, and they're like, all we can do is think and, and feel physically. We can't really see or feel spiritually. And Jesus wants him, wants them, wants us to make that transition. And so even though they're no longer going to see him in the flesh, they will see him. And then as Peter would write later in one of his letters, he would say, and we rejoiced with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Why? Because all of a sudden their spiritual sense was on. And this is what Jesus wants, not only for them, but he wants that for us as well. Yeah, well, I was going to say, and I believe this is the this is the crux of basically Christianity as a whole, uh, being able to see things uh, spiritually and not be so focused on the physical aspects of everything. Uh, and you, you take it into uh, most of our, you know, if we look at our emblems of worship and we start talking about the Lord's Supper and we look at the uh, the emblems of the Lord's Supper. Uh, if we start focusing on the physical, we're missing the point. Uh, we need to be focusing on the spiritual. And in, in the same sense here, what Jesus is, is trying to get across to his disciples, it's it's not about the physical. And I believe, and like we've repeated over and over and over again, the disciples still don't get this, and they struggle through this for a, for a long time. Uh, basically, the entire in the entirety of Jesus's ministry, they struggle with this aspect of stop thinking physical, start thinking spiritual. Uh, and we still struggle with that. Like, like dad was saying, like A.B. Bruce uh, talks about, uh, we still struggle with this because we are physical beings. Uh, we have physical aspects of our, our humanity. And so it is very difficult for us to look beyond the physical, and grasp the spiritual. And Jesus understands that, and so that's why I believe he repeats this over and over and over and over and over again throughout his ministry to try to get us to grasp this concept of spirituality as opposed to just our physical nature. Yeah, and I also like how A.B. Bruce brings up the point that he throws this riddle out at them. And yeah, they don't understand. They, Like you said, they are still lost in all of it. They're in grief now because it's... Surprise them again that he is leaving, right? And yet here comes this riddle, and then they're like, what is he talking about? And it kind of brings them out of that grief, as E.B. Bruce says, and gets them talking about, what, what do you mean, Jesus? We don't get it. And so this riddle is only going to be solved through experience. And Jesus knows this, and these disciples will know it. And their spiritual illumination will occur. And yet, 
they're still in that cocoon. They're still wrapped up in that, in that darkness, and they don't quite get it. But Jesus knows that they will. And so, yes, obviously, it's very important to be reborn again, to be regenerated and, and uh, have that experience with, with our Lord. But it's even better to be illuminated and have that spiritual illumination that Jesus wants for his disciples, not only there in the first century, but for us here in the 21st century. And so he says, in a little while, you'll see me. You'll get it in a little while. So hold tight. Don't let go. In a little while, you'll see. Yeah, and in Jesus's you know, standard MO <laughs> when he is teaching, he's asking a question. Uh, and I find it interesting there in, in John chapter 16, uh, verse 17, it, it ends with a, with a question mark. Uh, he's asking them a question. Uh, and this is the riddle. The, this is the thing that he's, he's trying to get them to see for themselves what Jesus is saying. Uh, he's trying to get them to understand in, in the form of a question. He's asking them to think for themselves, uh, to have this understanding of what he is saying in a little while uh, and what this actually means for them and trying to get them to wrap their minds around and grasp it themselves, the spiritual uh, illumination, as A.B. Bruce will describe it. Uh, and a lot of the times, that's that's what it takes uh, in our spiritual walk is to someone to ask the the right question, uh, to 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 probe our minds spiritually speaking, to get us to think for ourselves what Jesus is actually talking about, and get it to get us to apply it to our own lives spiritually speaking, to to challenge us in that way. Yeah, to stop thinking about ourselves too. We we that's also breaking hit me this time reading this through that. Because I go to the Father, right? The question mark you were talking about. Like, you're sad because I'm leaving, but you're thinking about yourselves. Also think about me. I finally have completed my mission. I get to go home to my Father. It's like, you should somewhat be happy for Jesus. He's done. He's completed it. You think about, you know, a friend that has to leave, that moves on, but they're going somewhere they want to go. You're going to miss them. You, They're no longer with you, but they get to do what they've been desiring to do. This is Jesus telling them, I'm gone. I'm leaving you. But I'm not leaving you. I'm confusing you. But I'm going home. Be happy for me. <laughs> it's like a little like you just see the disciples like just in you know almost sobbing like what are you talking about? <laughs> and so the question uh, that comes to our mind is how can this present sorrow be transformed into great joy? How is it possible? And like every every funeral that you've ever been to or every place of of you know lament where you're where you're saddened is there is there a light at the end of the tunnel is there you know something in the clouds in the darkness that is light is there something that we can look for and grasp that is joyful is there anything there and so what happens in this case Jesus answers and he says yes you're going to weep. Yes, you're going to lament. And even the world is going to be laughing and rejoicing because of your sorrow. And it's going to be difficult, but that sorrow will be turned to joy. And it's like your wife having a child. It's like that 
horrible pain that they go through for those moments of labor and, and all of that, but they forget it. And Jesus brings that up in verse 21 of chapter 16. He says, yes, even after all of that, they're, they're holding that child and they're joyful. Yes, sorrow can be transformed into great joy. And I'm going to show you how. Which, again, to our human physical side, it's a perplexing question. It's a, what do you mean my sorrow is going to be my joy? That doesn't make sense if we're stuck in the physical realm. But Jesus even brings up something physical, like, we, like we're talking about, the, the, the childbirth there, to help us understand it. It's, a, it's another parable, uh, so to speak, of something physical to help us understand something spiritual. Uh, and it's this idea of how can my sorrow be my joy? Well, here's an example. This is how it can be, Jesus is saying. And so taking that into the spiritual realm, our physical sorrow and our physical absence of Jesus can be a spiritual joy if we have the right mindset, if we look at it from the right perspective. Yeah, I completely agree with you, and I found it funny how A.B. Bruce said that some people try to compare the mother to Jesus and the children to the apostles, and they try to make all these like different things. But exactly what you just said, it's not that. It's the ability to look through the pain to the joy. And so Jesus is going to describe in really some you know, rapid strokes, as A.B. Bruce describes it here, he says, I'm going to show you how this is going to happen. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to prove it to you. And when you see this happening, you'll remember and your sorrow will be turned into joy. First of all, you're going to have an incredible comprehension of truth. All this training, all of this leadership training that Jesus has done over the last three, three and a half years in his earthly ministry with these 11 men, all of it, maybe a lot of it had bounced off, maybe a lot of it had been forgotten, maybe a lot of it had, they'd kind of missed the whole mark, but he says, when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to arrive and he's going to remind you of all truth and you can ask God <laughs> for any information, anything that you may have forgotten, you can go directly to the source and the Holy Spirit will provide that information for you. So you will have this enlarged comprehension of truth. Imagine that. Imagine having that promise looming over this sorrow, looming over this grief. This is something you can look forward to. And then when it happened, and we see the evidence of that in Acts chapter 2 and following throughout the rest of the New Testament, we see that these guys turn the world upside down with that information. They did have an enlarged comprehension of truth. And we can bring it into the same, you know, parable of childbirth. When you're a child and you're looking at your parents, you don't understand the love they have for you. And you sometimes ask them, like, I don't understand why you do all this for me. And they say, well, one day when you have children, you'll understand. You live that life. You go through those different things, like the apostles having to go through hard things, different things life experiences, you get to the point where you have children and you're like, ah, I finally get it. I finally understand. I had no way of comprehending on the other side of this, but since I've gone through this now, I can comprehend what I didn't understand before. That's kind of how I see the apostles in this, in this time in their life. Yeah. And 
the promise of the Holy Spirit coming to them and revealing all truth. I mean, just imagine <laughs> that type of truth dump into your into your mind uh, to have this type of comprehension of everything. And then if they lack anything, like like Dad was saying, like A.B. Bruce says, like Jesus says here, uh, is just ask God, uh, and He will grant it to you. You and just. Imagine the comfort the apostles must have felt at this point. They've been asking all of these questions up until this, just question after question after question after question. They're confused, they're perplexed, there's there's issues with what Jesus is saying and their comprehension of it, and Jesus reassures them here, in a little while, once I'm gone, you'll have all truth, all truth. Uh, that sh- That should have been so comforting. And again, like we said, they still don't, quite grasp what Jesus has said here until, you know, the Holy Spirit descends upon them. We, we see that in Acts chapter 2, uh, Acts chapter 1, and Acts chapter 2 there. And, and so we see this fulfilled in a little while, this prophecy that Jesus is, is speaking here to them. Uh, but just imagine the comfort they must have felt once that truth kind of descends upon them and they have all truth. And then the benefit to us 2,000 years later is they wrote it all down. <laughs> they've they've documented all truth, and so that we can have access to the truth of God uh, in black and white, and sometimes red. <laughs> you gotta you gotta wonder if they, when it finally hit, they're like, ah, I got it, I got it. <laughs> it like takes me back to watching those old nineties movies, The Matrix, and he uploads all the information to his head, and he's like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know Kung Fu. I know Kung Fu. <laughs> Spiritual Kung Fu. <laughs> and that would be quite the relief uh, for these individuals who are being told that their master, their rabbi, their leader, their teacher, their, their Lord is going to be gone. And yet Jesus says, I'm not going to be gone spiritually. I'll be here spiritually. You will see me spiritually and you will become the teacher. You'll become the doctors of divinity. That's what A.B. Bruce calls them. The titles conferred by heaven itself. You'll be able to answer questions of young disciples like you've been asking me. And so that's really, that is the, the perfect leadership. Uh, what's the word? The perfect leadership paradigm. That's the perfect paradigm for leadership, you teach others how to teach others. Is that Second Timothy two two kind of ring a bell? It's like, yep, that's what is going to be there for you. So that's point one. That's what Jesus wants them to know. First of all, you go to God; He's going to give you that information. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to guess. God's going to give that to you, and you will become the teachers. Yeah, and I always just think too that these. 11 men at this time, they're, they're Jewish, uh, and being able to approach God this directly, that's, that's an incredible uh, statement that Jesus is saying. Uh, think back in your Old Testament, who can approach God? Well, it's, it's the priests, and there's, there's specific times, and there's, there's specific places, and, and specific, ave- specific avenues for God to be approachable. Well, Jesus is telling them here that you're going to be the ones that are going to approach God directly and be able to ask him direct questions, and he's going to answer in all truth directly to you. Uh, 
that that is an incredible realization for especially a, a Jewish individual at, at the time when Jesus is speaking this. And so the second feature in this illumination, Jesus goes on to say, okay, you can ask God, but notice it's a avenue of prayer that gives you that access. You have influence with God. <laughs> and he says, I'll, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. The whole power of God will be at your fingertips. Just ask him. And they had witnessed miracles of healing, diseases cast out, blindness completely healed, leprosy, even death. The whole power of God is going to be accessible to you. And this becomes comforting to these men. The idea of the ability to look into the future, just like Jesus is looking just, just 50, 60 days from now, he's looking into the future for these men. He's going to delegate that authority to these men. And he says, the whole gambit of power of God will be at your fingertips. You'll have this influence with God through prayer. You can ask him and you'll have all of it available. And imagine that. And we keep saying, imagine that. And just think of these 11 men listening to this for the first time. This is going to be available to you. Yeah, I look at the maturity of the asking, right? So if you are immature and you ask things of God, they're not necessarily going to come true, right? If I say, hey, I want a nice big house and cool cars and, you know, come on, God, I'm asking you, right? I believe in you. Is that really going to happen? Well, no, because that's not, you're not asking out of maturity in faith for the kingdom. They, they coincide. Uh, the verse that pops in my mind is the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. As you become more mature and you ask and intercede through Jesus, then your prayers can accomplish much, right? Now the apostles are going from immature to the mature, right? Instantly through the Holy Spirit. And now what they ask is not going to be selfish. It's going to be for the kingdom. It's going to be to further God in, in, in bringing people to him. That's what we have to remember with ourselves because we think about, I think about that with my prayer. Am I asking for this for me or am I asking to, you know, expand the kingdom, to do the work? Why do I want these things? Why am I asking for these things? Why do I want this? Well, I need to make sure that it's more towards what God needs and not what I want. Yeah, and then we have this level of maturity with the understanding what Jesus is talking about here and the supernatural aspect of these 12 apostles uh, being able to do what we would call supernatural things, uh, raising people from the dead, healing the sick, uh, these types of things that they're going to be able to ask God for these and the purpose behind why God granted that to do to, to these special men uh, and the maturity of understanding that God is establishing his church through these individuals, and he wants his truth to be confirmed through these individuals, and so the, the full power and might of God behind these men 
affirms the truth that they are speaking. Uh, and so it gives us the, the reason behind and the understanding why God allowed these men to do these, what we would call supernatural things uh, moving forward, and then why those same supernatural things don't happen today. Uh, and that again, that comes with spiritual maturity and understanding uh, behind, you know, when we're asking God for things in our prayers and, and why we're not asking for supernatural things. <laughs> you know, when I was young uh, and dumb, <laughs> uh, I would, you know, I would be going to take a test, let's say, uh, at school, and I didn't study for the test because, you know, I got this. Surprise. <laughs> and so I'd pray to God, help me pass the test, and then I wouldn't pass the test, and then I would blame God for not allowing me to pass. You know, it just kind of, but that's just spiritual immaturity. That's not understanding what Jesus is talking about here and what Je- and what the apostles later describe as, you know, the prayer of a righteous man. These these types of things that comes with spiritual understanding and spiritual maturity uh, and understanding what Jesus is promising to these specific 11, uh, these 12 uh, apostles here uh, in the text. And so that helps, it helps us to understand uh, if when we study and we become more spiritually mature as well. Yeah, and as A.B. Bruce pointed out too in the book, they had a spiritual favor from God because they physically helped his son. Like if you think about it that way, it's like God has a special connection to these 11 soon to be 12 that cast lots, right, to because of what they did for Jesus. They were physically there. They stood by him. They helped him through all these things, and God loves them for that. And he loves us, too, when we proclaim him. And as Kevin alluded to, uh, the third feature in this spiritual maturity is this enlarged heart and a desire to ask and expect great things. You think about what we pray for in the church today and uh, we have a list in the bulletin you know the prayer list and what is that list well it's you know mabel has passed away and so we're going to pray for the family and and uh, there's there's a, uh, a sick you know sister and she needs our prayers and there's some guy going into the doctor and he's having a procedure and so they need our prayers and it's like okay those that's good to pray for the individuals of of the church of the congregation the lord's body what did these disciples that have that will become apostles what did they pray for and we when we look at their examples of prayer they expected great things for the body of christ they expected great things for themselves they expected expected great things for for the world and when they prayed it was powerful and they used the comforter this holy spirit and their ability to pray and offer these prayers, even when they were in prison. You know, I just think of, of uh, Paul and Silas there in the Philippian jail down that uh, dungeon, and what were they doing, singing and praying? It's like, yep, they were expecting great things, and they could make large demands on the riches of God's grace. Large. They expected these great things, and so... This would provide this fullness of joy. This would allow their work in their heart and for the world. It would provide them with great joy. And like that, that illustration of the woman giving birth and the, and the joy afterwards, after all the pain and suffering, 
that great joy. All this is like that through their whole existence. And just like Jesus' mission, through his whole mission, it wasn't a walk in the park. It was difficult. He had to fight basically the whole time against the scribes, Pharisees, these these leaders, these so-called rabbis of the law. And it's like, yep, it's going to be like that for you. And then Jesus says, the Spirit will give you this fullness of joy. And again, we're back to comforting words, These this idea that Jesus is trying to comfort his, uh, his disciples, his apostles here, as they're getting ready to go through what he understands is some really severe suffering <laughs> uh, because of what they're going to do to him and what they're going to do to them because of, of him. Uh, and he can see that, and he's reassuring them this great joy. Uh, and again, just imagine the comfort that the apostles must have felt at this point uh, to hear the words of Jesus. And, Je- and they even say, you're speaking plainly now. <laughs> we, we can understand it. Uh, and you're, not, you're not beating around the bush. It's not some uh, apocryphal language. It's not uh, figurative language. It is plain speaking, and they're saying, we understand that, and that brings me joy, uh, and that brings me comfort. Uh, and this is something that Jesus, again, he's trying to comfort his disciples, even though he knows there's going to be some severe, uncomfortable things they're going to be have to go through very soon. Uh, and uh, if they just focus on the spiritual truths that he's revealing to them, uh, he's reassuring them there's going to be joy and comfort that comes along with that. This is one of those things that didn't really scare me the first time going through, thinking about it. But thinking about praying for an enlarged heart, when I really started to like meditate on this and think about what that meant, Whenever I talk to someone and I know people that have these huge hearts and they care and they love and they've gone through usually pretty hard lives, pretty terrible things. So it's like one of those things A.B. Bruce talks about. If you're going to pray for something, know what you're praying for and know that if you pray for an enlarged heart, it could lead to sorrow. But as we already discussed, on the other side of that sorrow, there is joy and you'll have a bigger heart to love people and further the kingdom. But it's one of those things you got to really understand what you're asking for because half the time I don't. Yeah. Yeah. It comes back to this idea. You, you pray for patience <laughs> and you get children, <laughs> you get children. <laughs> it's like, God's going to say, okay, you want patience. I'm going to give you something to be patient for. You want an enlarged heart. You want to have more of this joy. There may be some suffering that comes along with that. Uh, and so be prepared for the flip side of what you're praying for and have the spiritual understanding and maturity to understand uh, sometimes what you pray for may not be physically comfortable. (laughs) And so Jesus sums up his entire ministry in one sentence. He says, I came from the Father and I came into the world. And again, I leave the world and go to the Father. And so he, he sums up the history of his ministry and they get half of it. They say, yeah, we know where you came from. We, you came from the father. It's obvious. It's obvious to the, to everyone except those that refuse to see, but we got it. We understand it. We know where you came from. We saw it with our own eyes, but why are you leaving? That's the question. And so Jesus says, this is my ministry. And they are starting, their eyes are starting to open 
And Jesus understands this. And so he says, just a little while, <laughs> I, there's an hour coming when you're going to be scattered. It's going to be like a wolf came into the sheep pen and it just, the, the sheep just scatter in, in abject fear of the wolf. Yep, that's coming too. But don't let go of your faith in me. He says, I want you to understand who's really with you. It's not just me. It's the Father and the Comforter. And he says, you hold on. The world is that wolf. And it, it looks like they're going to win. And in fact, when you see me on the cross, it's going to look like the world won. Satan even thought that. He thought, I did it. I beat God. He, he probably was rejoicing for those three days. And yet, that outward defeat that the world sees is really a measure of the spiritual conquest of God, the power that God has. And he says, I've been with my son. I've been with him at, that, at his baptism. The sky opened up and God spoke. This is my beloved son on the hill of transfiguration, that mountain up there in the temple just a few days ago. You all heard it. Yes, the world looks at this as a defeat, and yet I have overcome the world. Don't forget that. Yeah, and this is that uh, for, uh, what's, the, what's, the say, what's the saying? Uh, having the understanding beforehand, being prepared and making up your mind before even the events take place of what you're going to do gives you that comfort, gives you that joy, gives you that peace. And Jesus is preparing them, uh, mentally <laughs> speaking, preparing them beforehand by telling them exactly what's going to happen. First, I'm going to be captured. They're going to, uh, they're going to torture me. It's going to be terrible. And then they're going to execute me. And you are going to scatter because the wolf is, is in your midst. And seemingly, the world, the devil wins. All of this is going to take place. Jesus is telling them this. And I can just imagine the, the shock in, in the eyes and the minds of the disciples at this point. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? We're, the, the devil's going to win? And then he says, but I have overcome the. I'm telling you these things so that you can remain faithful even in the midst of all of this tragedy that's taking place so that you, like me, Jesus says, will overcome on the other side of this is great joy uh, and victory. Uh, and it's, it's, it's going to seemingly look like utter defeat. But in actuality, in spirituality, it's a conquering. It's, it's, a, it's an absolute victory. If you have your mind focused on those things, then the temporary suffering and the temporary scattering and the temporary uh, things that are going to take place, that's what they are. They're just temporary. Focus on the eternal. Yeah, <clears throat> you brought up something in my mind at camp. I remember counseling some young men and talking to them, and the, what I was trying to get across to them and the saying that ended up flowing was, and I don't know if I heard this from someone, read it somewhere else, I'm not taking credit for it, but in times of strength, prepare for times of weakness. 
when you're at your strongest, which guess what? The disciples are here. Jesus is with them. They have to prepare for that time of weakness, and they they don't. Spoiler alert. Right? They don't do it. And we can learn from that, and we can prepare for our times of weakness. We know they're coming. We know the hard times are going to be around the corner. We have to mentally make up our minds now that no matter what, nothing's going to separate us from God. That's what Jesus' mindset was. Nothing was going to separate him from the Father. We need to try to emulate that, have that mindset, so when things do get tough, like Alex talking about, we are prepared, and we're not going to be destroyed by our times of weakness. And watching Jesus endure death, and not just a peaceful death in bed at night, you know, passing away peacefully, they watched him endure the most cruel death ever devised by man. And despising the shame of crucifixion. I heard a sermon uh, recently where if, if one of your family members was crucified, you never spoke of that person again. There was so much shame in crucifixion that it was if that person was erased from history. And Jesus despised the shame of crucifixion. They watched that. And this would inspire them to fight the good fight. And it's like that in the military. You know, you watch these movies, you listen to these men and women that have gone into battle. And when, a, when one hero makes a run and does the unthinkable, it inspires the others to do just as well. I was reading about a man that was a was a cook on one of the uh, battleships there in Pearl Harbor, and he was he was a cook. He just happened to be out on the deck that morning, that Sunday morning, and he looked up in the sky and he saw those Japanese zeros, and he couldn't believe it. And the first thing that happened is the guy in the in you know the fifty caliber machine gun was was taken out by that uh, by that enemy fighter, and he ran having no training. He ran to that gun and just kept firing. He just kept shooting. He kept, and what did that do? It inspired others on the ship to continue fighting. It's like, that's what Jesus has done. He's ran, he's ran into the thick of it. He is, he's went to the cross, despising the shame. And now his followers have the heart to fight the good fight. And this will be the victory. This will be a victory, not only for Christ, but for all of us who follow him. And that is really the benefit of Christ's victory. Yeah, and then it comes to that last verse there in John chapter 16, 16 verse 33, which I believe is one of the most comforting verses uh, in Scripture. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. It's such a powerful statement. Jesus is, is telling them, yes, there's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulation. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be problems that you're going to face. That's, that's guaranteed. But take courage. I have overcome the world. You remain with me. You win. Uh, it, it's it's, it's a, such a perfect statement there of comfort at the end 
of all of these things, these warnings and these uh, these charges that he's been giving to his apostles uh, as he's facing the cross and facing all of this, but he's giving them that encouragement, take heart, take courage, <laughs> because I've overcome all of these things that you're worried about. Remain in me. We leave you with these questions. What steps do you need to take to ensure that your heart is becoming enlarged? Christ told us that we would have joy in him. What does it mean to find the joy in Christ, and how do we spread that joy? Do you have confidence that God hears your prayers? What questions or concerns do you have in this area? Thank you so much for joining us for this week's study.